Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good evening. Good to see you guys. Welcome to Cross Creek. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are just glad that you are here. If you are watching online, thank you so much for watching wherever you are, whenever you are. Hey, if you are watching online, sorry, just give me a second, okay? But if you are watching online, would you shoot us an email at, your, at um, info at yourcrosscreek.com and just tell us where you're watching and when you're watching so we know you're there, so we know that what we're doing matters. And if you're here and this is your first time, there's a welcome card in the seat in front of you in case you missed it at the very beginning. Uh, fill out some basic information about yourself and then after service, you can go to the info table that's in the lobby and you give that card to the person behind the table and we will give you a free gift. So please, make sure that we know that you're here so we can give you stuff because we love to give. So we are in part four of a series that we are calling Becoming. Because as maybe you saw in the video, we're all becoming something. We are all in a process of some type of transformation. We all do it from the moment we're born to the moment we die. And often our life is kind of just happens, right? What we become kind of just happens. We, you know, go to school like we're told to do. We get a job like we're expected to do. Maybe we get married like we're expected to do. And we just kind of go through it hoping that things will be great. And we just kind of you know, things work out. And so if I asked you, who do you want to be or what do you want to be known for in five years? What do you want your life to be like in five years? I know what we're all going to answer, right? Your number one, the number one answer we're going to all say is, I hope my life is mediocre in five years, right? You know, I hope I'm just getting by I hope, you know, I'm, I'm not known for too much. Nobody really knows me. I hope, you know, everything I put my hand to kind of works out, and I just kind of squeak by. That's not the truth, right? When I ask you what you want to be in five years, what you want your life to be in five years, you want it to be great. Usually you want it to be better than at least it is now, right? And here's the thing. We all want a great life. We do. But most of the time, most of us settle for good enough. We all want a great life. Nobody says, yeah, I just want to be mediocre. But for some reason, most of us settle for, ah, that's good enough. And that's kind of the result of just letting life happen to you, of not having a plan. So that's why we said, hey, let's sit down. And when we first started this church two years ago, we're coming up on our two-year anniversary. So let's sit down and decide right now what we want this church to be known for. And so we came up with five values that we want to be known for. And so we're, this series is kind of talking about those values and how Cross Creek has these five values and how really these five values can impact us individually. We can be known for these five things ourselves. And I think it could impact our community. Our community could be known for these things. But here's the thing. When we just let life happen to us, that great life that we all want, 
that we all kind of dream about, that we thought we were going to have when we were 10 or 12, it just always seems out of reach, doesn't it? And we end up settling for good enough. You know, as, as long as things aren't burning down in your life, eh, it's good enough. What's on TV? Eh, it's good enough. Who just posted on Facebook in the last two minutes since the last time I checked it? All right, as long as, as, long as the principal's not calling, eh, kids are good enough. All right, as long as, as, long as you know, I'm, I'm still getting paid or there's not too many clients complaining, I'm, I'm doing my work good enough. Things aren't terrible, but, you know, hey, as long as you're still married and they're not complaining too much, good enough, right? Keeping them happy enough, good enough. As long as the house is still standing, good enough. But here's the thing, if we settle for good enough, life will never be great. If we always and consistently settle for the good enough life, It'll never be great. We'll never have that great life that we dreamed of, that we all want, that for some reason always seems out of reach. Because a great life doesn't just happen by accident. If you, if you want a great life, you can't settle for good enough. In fact, uh, maybe you've heard of the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. It was written uh, in the late 90s. I'm just now getting around to reading it and it's blowing my mind. But here's something Jim Collins says in the book Good to Great. Good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools principally because we have good schools. That's good enough. Why rock the boat? Why change things? We don't have great government principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. But the problem is settling for good enough in reality, is settling for mediocre. And we all laughed, right, when I said, hey, we all want our lives to be mediocre. But really, if you look at how you, we, most of us, have been living our lives, thinking about, you know, changes we could make, thinking about, you know, just the day-to-day, -day, how we go about doing life, we settle for mediocre. And so the result is our day-to-day -day becomes worse than just a routine, becomes worse than just going through the motions. We become bored. Life becomes empty. You kind of forget why you were getting up every morning to go to that job. We wake up one day and we realize we settled, what, what we settled for is no longer good enough. We realize we become ineffective. Maybe we've become apathetic. Ah, whatever. As long as I'm getting paid. Maybe we become bitter. I've always wanted great, but not my, you know, that's not my lot in life. You know, if there's any type of luck, mine's obviously bad luck. And so we see another, another part, another effect of settling for good enough. Good enough rarely leads to happy enough. Good enough rarely leads to happy enough. Good enough rarely leads to true contentment, true joy, true peace. So what do we do about it? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you didn't just let, let me beat you down. Welcome to Cross Creek. We like to start out with the rough stuff. 
What do we do about it? I mean, think about it. Yes, you would love a great life. And if you're thinking through what I'm talking about, you're like, yes, that would be great. And I tried that and it was exhausting. I mean, who has time to really work on every relationship I have, really work on my job and home and hobbies and friendships and all of that? Who has time for that? So many responsibilities, so many tasks that I'm trying to juggle that obviously I've had to settle for good enough. I mean, who has time for anything else than just good enough? And you might be like, man, that was a good excuse. I'm off the hook. But you're not off the hook. It's not a good excuse. Because think about it. Every single human being in the history of the world has had only 24 hours a day to get something done. No one is given more time to have a great life. Nobody is given more time to achieve more in life. Everyone you know, everyone you've seen on TV has 24 hours in a day to live their life. Martin Luther King Jr. had the exact same hours in a day that you have. Isn't that interesting? Maybe like, that's cool. I'm not really into the politics. Michael Jordan has the same, had the same 24 hours in a day that you have. Bill Gates, that brother-in-law who is super successful and loves to rub it in your face because he gets so much done, that super mom who's always posting on Facebook and Instagram, they all have the same number of hours in a day that you have. So why do some people achieve great things with their lives while most of us kind of survive? each day. And you know, for, for a lot of that, we could talk about time management, which is great. We could talk about diet and exercise, which people tell me is great. <laughs> but just accomplishing stuff, that's not a great life, right? Those great accomplishments, because I think there's something else. There's something missing here, because you could accomplish a lot. Now, you could be the best time management person, have the most energy, and accomplish a lot of things, but you could still have an empty life. Right? We've all seen super successful, super um, effective people burn out and hate life. So how do we break this routine of actually, actually start thriving instead of just surviving? How do we have both a meaningful life and a life that accomplishes something? Because sometimes I feel like we can only do one, but I think we can have both. How do we do both? Have a meaningful life and a life that accomplishes something. And the interesting thing, interestingly enough, Jesus actually gave us the answer in one of his most important teachings. And if you're a Jesus follower, I think this will, maybe you've heard this passage before. If you're not a Jesus follower, I think this passage can still change your life. I think you can still apply what Jesus says here to your life. It might look a little bit differently for you, but I think there is some major wisdom in here. So if you are a Jesus follower, Jesus is about to give you some commands that you're kind of not off the hook for. If you follow Jesus, you kind of got to follow these commands, right? Because Jesus is commanding it and you follow him. If you're not a Jesus follower, you are off the hook. You can sit back and relax. You can take notes like, yeah, I would like to be better at work and maybe this could help me. But nothing I say, you have to do. You're totally off the hook if you're not a Jesus follower. You just kind of be like, hey, what's that Jesus thing about? But here's the thing. And here's what Jesus is going to show us. The antidote to good enough is love. The antidote to good enough, the secret really to a great life 
is love. If you're watching online or you're here and you're like, oh my gosh, it's one of those churches? It is, but it's better than you think. Right? It's not like, it's love, guys. Just hug each other and your life will be great. There's more to it. All right, so check Facebook and then come back in two minutes. I'll still be talking about this. So stick with me. Don't leave yet. And so Jesus talks about really the secret to a great life, the antidote to good enough in what we call the book of Mark. We call it a book. It's really more of um, an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, a historical account. Uh, Mark was a friend of the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest, closest guys. And Mark would travel around with Peter. And a lot of what we see in what we call the book of Mark is Peter's account of what happened. Some people believe that Mark was a Jesus follower when Jesus was on the earth. He kinda, there's a story about this rich young ruler who says to Jesus, hey, I want to I wanna inherit the kingdom of God. I want to I I follow you. And Jesus tells this guy, hey, leave everything you have. Give all your stuff to the poor and then follow me. And in the book of Mark, it says that that leader left sad because he loved all his stuff because he was super rich. And so a lot of scholars think that insight of that guy's feelings is Mark saying, the way ancient writers kind of put themselves in their stories, Mark's saying, that was me, but now here's what Jesus did for me. So anyway, so Mark, an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, and in this account, what we're going to read in Mark 12, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark 12. If you don't, we're going to have everything on the screen for you. In this conversation, Jesus is kind of hanging out and teaching people, and all the religious leaders come and try to trap him. Religious, religious people didn't like Jesus. Isn't that weird? So if, you know, religious people kind of rub you the wrong way, you're, you're kind of in good company because they didn't really like Jesus. So they're trying to trap him and say, hey, should, we're Jews and, we, you know, we're God's chosen people, but Rome controls us and they force taxes out of us. Should we, should we pay taxes to Rome? So they try to trap Jesus with that. And he's like, well, whose face is on the coin? They're like Caesar's. And he's like, well, give it back to him. And then they try to trap him with theology, right? Isn't it funny that people who know a lot about the Bible try to trap people with it? What's that about? That's a whole other series that we'll talk about someday. And so they try to trap Jesus and say, hey, you know, Jesus, when, when the world ends, right, who's, what's marriage going to be like? So suppose there was this woman, right, and she gets married and her husband dies. Well, and then she gets married again and her husband dies. She gets married again and her husband dies. The fourth guy didn't hear about the first three guys and he dies, right? So when the world ends and you're all in heaven and the kingdom of heaven and all that, whose husband is she going to be? And he basically says, you guys are dumb. <laughs> That's not what it's about, right? And I'm, I'm guessing Mark didn't record it, but somebody's like, hey, Jesus, could you build a rock so big you couldn't lift it? Right? Like that's the way this conversation is going until one guy steps up and actually asks him, I think, a pretty insightful question. And in this question, we actually see what God sees as great. In God's interpretation of life, what is great? And in this, Jesus lays out what we call the law of love. It's basically the core of what God wants for us. It's basically the core of this whole following Jesus thing, the law of love. It's a filter through which every Jesus follower should view life. And so here's, here's that conversation. I'm going to read the whole thing. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, basically totally shut them down, he asked him, of all the commandments, and there were hundreds of them in the Jewish scriptures, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus. And usually when Jesus is asked a question, he usually answers with a question. Not this time. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And here's the thing, a great life, really, it all starts with God. It all starts with God. Let's, let's kind of pick this, what Jesus said, apart a little bit. That first verse, hear, O Israel, so the most important command, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is part of what the, the Jews call the Shema. It's kind of the center piece of the Jewish morning and evening prayers, and that's how they start their prayers. And it, it's laying out, you know, that they... They are monotheists, which was, which was a huge thing back in the ancient day, right? Everyone else was pagan with a whole bunch of different gods like, you know, Zeus and Thor and all those different polytheistic gods. And this is the Jews saying, we're different. We believe there is one God who created everything, all-powerful God. But there's something else about this that I think is really pertinent to what we're looking at. Check this out. Here always with the Lord, our God. The Lord is one. Our God, not the God or the gods or God Almighty, the, our God. It's a, there's a personal aspect to that. He's ours. See, for the Jews, God had made this, this promise with them that they would be his people and he would be their God. And it was a promise that was based completely on his love. Not based on their worthiness, not based on how good they were. And it's the same for us. God's love for us, the promise he's made that he loves us no matter what, is not based on our behavior, not based on our goodness. It's based on his love, the fact that he chooses to love. The fact, see, God is yours. If you are a Jesus follower, God is yours. He is your God. And you are his you are his child, and he loves you, and he likes you. You know what? If you're not a Jesus follower, and you're like, I'm just checking this thing out. I don't really call myself that, and I'm, you know, I've been told that if I'm not a Christian, God hates me, and you know, what I've chosen to do with my life, God probably is really, God likes you. God likes you. He loves you, not just because he has to, but he, he chooses to, and he likes you. You know why? Because he made you. That personality you have that you're like, man, I'm so unique, or man, I really don't like me sometimes. He likes you. He gave you that personality. Isn't that cool? Yes, it is. But God loves you. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, how old you are, God loves you. And the proof is Jesus. Jesus is the proof that God loves you. And so for me, when we come to theological questions or moral questions and, you know, people email me and like, what do I do about this? You know, my, my friend's talking about creation and evolution and da-da-da-da-da and, you know, why is there suffering and why, do, why are all these bad things happening to good people? For me, I always start with Jesus. See, Jesus is proof 
A, that there is a God. You're like, well, you guys a quick jump. See, proof because Jesus predicted his death. He said, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be put to death by the religious leaders. Don't worry, though. In three days, I'll rise again. Think of that person sitting next to you right now. And if they turned to you and said, hey, this is kind of boring, right? Yeah. Hey, in three days, I'm going to die. Huh? <laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to rise again. Now, I'll be dead for three days, but then I'll come back alive. You would think they're crazy. Here's the thing. Jesus did that and then pulled it off, proving he's God. So Jesus' proof there's a God, and he's proof that he loves you because that death he died was for you to make a way to forgive sin, to make a way to forgive us hurting each other and to bring us back to God. So Jesus is proof that God loves me and God is for me. And everything else we do, that's kind of what Jesus is about to get to, everything else we do is a response to that truth. See, here's the thing. Our love, when we truly love others, when we can love God, it's a response to God's love. Our love is a response to God's love. And you're like, okay, that's sweet, I guess. How's that? What do you mean? See, because God is personal, because God loves you, you can do this. Next verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Because God loves you, we can love this way. And the main point is this. Our response to God's unconditional, complete love is to love him with everything we are and to love him with everything we do. Now check this out. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, you love God with everything. All your heart. What do I choose to love? What do I give myself to? Do I love what God loves? All your soul. Are my emotions in tune with God's true reality? Do I, do I give my emotions to God or do I let my emotions control me? All your mind. What do I choose to think about? What do I choose to dwell on? And do I put all of my mind into my work? Think about middle school math. Were you inclined to give all of your mind to that work or get it done good enough? And I think we carry that on with us into adulthood. All my strength. Do I use whatever physical abilities I have for something more than me? Or, you know, do I kind of just get by, enjoy the laziness? Am I willing to work? See, everything you do can be an act of love toward God. Because love creates excellence. When you are loving God with everything you are, that creates excellence in everything you do. You put all of your effort into what you do because you are doing that as a thank you to God in response to his love. The one who made you, who loves you completely, who knows you better than you know yourself, yet loves you more than you love yourself. Everything we do can be a response to that love. 
when we respond to that love, it creates this excellence, this drive to be excellent in what we do. When my, when my wife Liz goes on vacation and takes my kids down to California for a week, sometimes the house gets messy. messy. It's just me living there, yet somehow it gets messy. I don't know. But when I know she's coming home, man, I clean that thing. Not because I'm scared that she's coming home, <laughs> but because I know she loves it to come home to a clean house that she doesn't have to do any work in when she gets home. And because of my love for her, I clean excellently. I put all of me into cleaning. I even lift up that little thing that holds the ladles and clean under that because I love her so much. And that's how our love for God can be. And maybe you're thinking, like me, when I was reading this, man, that sounds exhausting. Like everything I do, I do it with all I have. That is going to be rough. Now, I'm not talking about perfect. I'm not talking about being perfect because perfect isn't possible. I'm talking about something so much better than perfection. See, let's look at this verse again. Love the Lord your God with all, love the Lord with all, ah, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Who are you? Who has God made you to be? God made you, you, on purpose. And Jesus is saying, use all of you to do what you do. You can write that down. That's a good one. Use all of you to do what you do. How are you wired? You think a little bit differently than everybody else. What unique perspective do you have on life? What unique skills do you have? What unique like, likes do you have? Use all of that in what you do, which means you are free to be you. It's authentic because it's all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We all have different strengths. We all have different thoughts. See, love, true love, requires authenticity. You can't phone it in. True love requires authenticity. You can't pretend to be something else and yet say, I love you. You can't try to put on a show and say, well, that's true love because it's not really you. Trying to be more or less than you are, is that really love? And trying to be perfect, is that really authentic perfection? It's not authenticity, right? Because nobody's perfect. In order to truly love, you have to truly be you. And you might be watching online, sitting here, being like, that's cool. You know, that's, I get that. That's still kind of intangible, right? Like, my motivation is to love God, so I put all of me and all I do. You know, I could do that sometimes. But practically, what does that even mean? Like, what does that look like in a day? How am, how am I supposed to do that? Like, how can I go home and do that? Great question. Jesus continues, and we've already read it, but let's read it again. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. If you have kids, what's the best way for someone to show you they love you? To love your kids, right? What makes you the maddest, most angry you could be? 
when someone mistreats your kids. It's the same with God. See, to love, the best way to love God is to love his kids. See, if you want to like, you know, kiss up to me and brown nose and all that, I don't know why you would, but if you do, it's my kids. If you love my kids, then I'm going to love you. The best way to love God is to love his kids. He's the same way. So is it loving to me to half-heartedly love my kids? Be like, oh, you're so cute. Anyway, here's some candy. Go leave me alone. Is it loving to go through the motions pretending that you care? Doing just enough to look good? Think of a babysitter. There's two types of babysitters. There's the, hey kids, what's on TV? Playing on my phone. And then there's the babysitter that you know they're a good babysitter because when you get home, the house is thrashed. And they're exhausted because they have been playing with the kids and the kids are like laughing and screaming and having such a good time. There's a difference in how those babysitters love those kids, isn't there? See, love means giving all of you for the good of someone else. That's love. Giving all, everything, of you, authentically you, giving all of you for the good of someone else. So Jesus gives us a little picture of what that actually would look like. And in, in the book of Luke, another eyewitness account of Jesus' life, Luke went around and interviewed everybody who knew Jesus. He actually adds a little bit more of what Jesus said in this encounter. And it's another famous story, but I think it really adds to what Jesus was talking about here. It's in Luke 10. It's this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. It's like, you know, going from Jerusalem to, or from Salem to Silverton. Why not? They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, like the one who like goes to the temple to talk to God for people, happened to be going down the same road, the priest that has memorized all of the Jewish scriptures. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, and this is a tribe where the priests came out of, so kind of born to serve God, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, one of the most hated people for a Jew, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and said, hey, I hope you feel better. No, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Denarii is a type of money. So let's say 200 bucks. Gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, authentically excellent love should be the hallmark of every Jesus follower authentically excellent love should be the hallmark of every Jesus follower. People, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, according to Jesus, people should know you by how excellently and authentically you love people. How excellently and authentically you put other people's needs above your own. How you put yourself out 
for other people. See, people might not agree with all their beliefs. Like, people might not agree with all the Jesus-following beliefs that Jesus was God, that Jesus rose from the dead, but every single employer should want to hire a Jesus follower. Every parent should want their kid's teacher to be a Jesus follower. They might not believe all this stuff about, you know, Jesus dying for your sins. Think about it. Every dad should want his daughter to date and marry a Jesus follower. Because if they are truly following Jesus, then everything they do, in everything they do, their goal will be love. And the result will be authentic excellence. Could you imagine an employee who said, my goal in this job is to show everyone I work with and for and who works under me, my goal is to show them love. Everything they do would be excellent. They would put all of their heart, all of their mind, all their strength, all their soul into that. See, there's no room for shoddy work when your goal is love. There's no excuse for procrastinating and throwing something together if love is your goal. There's no excuse for going through the motions with your spouse if love is really your goal. There's no reason just to get through another day because every day is a chance to love with everything you are. There's no room to settle for good enough. So a tough question, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. Where have you settled for good enough? Where have you said, ah, that's good enough, I'll focus on this? Work, kids, school, marriage, with your neighbors, with service opportunities. Oh, I know I should go help out, but, you know, I I work hard and that's good enough. Is that what you hoped your life would be like five years ago? Is that what you hoped your life would be like when you were 13? Is that what you hope your kids say when they get your age? Ah, it's good enough. My life, you know, I'll settle for mediocre. Is that why you worked so hard to raise them? So they can be mediocre? Is that why your parents worked so hard to raise you or... Maybe why you worked so hard to overcome what your parents did. So you know, it can be mediocre. You want to have a great life. You want your kids to have a great life. So what if instead of looking for the easiest way to do something, the easiest way out, what if instead of that you asked, what if instead of asking, is this you know, good enough, you asked, what does love look like? So here's our challenge for this week, if you're willing to accept it. Instead of asking, is this good enough, ask, what does love look like? This task my boss gave me to do that nobody likes to do, and he always picks me to do it, I'll just get it done good enough. Or, what does love look like? All right, nobody else has to do this. And if I do it really well, nobody will have to do it tomorrow, maybe. If I do it really well... I'll do it excellently. They'll see who I really am. They'll see what love really is. See, if you always ask, what does love look like? Your answer will always lead to authentic excellence. It will always lead you to purpose. It will always lead you to fulfillment. And it will lead you to happiness. And it will lead to a great life. And it might even lead you to a raise. If love is your goal, 
I mean, imagine if your life, if your relationships had that goal. What would it be like if authentically excellent love was your daily goal? What if every school employee's goal was, to, was authentic, excellent love? Authentically excellent love. What if every government employee's goal was authentically excellent love in everyone they interacted with? What if all of Congress's goal was to show authentically excellent love? That would be a different country, wouldn't it? What if your neighbor's goal is to show you authentically excellent love? Wouldn't that be great? What if every Jesus follower in Salem had the goal of showing everyone around them authentically excellent love? What if every person who came to Cross Creek had that goal? What would that look like? There'd be no trash anywhere on the parking lot, right? There'd be no messes in the bathroom because like, oh, there's water, I'll clean that up. You know, somebody, oh, somebody, somebody might slip on that. I'll, I'll clean that up. See, that, it can start with you and it can start today. Because when love is your goal, authentic excellence is always your result. When love is truly your goal, authentic excellence is always your result. You can't help it. If you're trying to love someone, then you're going to give all of you to it. And so here at Cross Creek, we have quite a few people who actually show authentically excellent love. They go out of their way, maybe every, every Sunday service we have, maybe in a, in a small group they, they are a part of, in a service opportunity they have. And so it's the month of August. So I want to celebrate these people. And we call this month August. I want to thank our contributors. Get it? And so, if I say your name, I want you to come up here so we can celebrate you as our authentically excellent contributors. Two of our fellows will help celebrate you. You're not going to have to say anything, but Luke and Aaron would like to designate those of you who have shown authentically excellent love. Somebody say your name. Come on down. And then just stand right here. It's going to get awkward. But you don't have to say anything. So Gillian Summers, come on down. And some of them won't be here because they're working somewhere else. Julian Summers. We can clap for them. Brooks Summers. Aaron Fiedler. Monica Fiedler, who's downstairs teaching. Nate Moody, who's on vacation. Ramey Moody, who's on vacation. Ken Silva. <laughs> Diane Silva, who's downstairs teaching. Liz Silva. She does great work, guys. She's amazing. Josh and Michelle Bell, who are also on vacation. Jameel White, who's not allowed to come down because he's a sound guy. Missy White, who is with the babies. Lori Case, who is here. She can come, she can come with her husband. <laughs> John Case. And their son, Ollie Case. 
I see Dynasty. We have Donna Looper, who can't come because she's doing words. But we have Michael Looper, her husband, who can come. We have Kyler Smith, who is working right now. We have Patrick Owen. We have Janet Owen. We have Pat Daniels, who's on vacation. We have Ryan Horsley, who just had a baby. James and Autumn Foster couldn't be here, but they send their love. I'm assuming. We have Cindy and Charles Haynes. We have Sochi Oruela. Megan Scott, who is down with the kids. Oh, Megan, you're right here. I'm sorry. We have Terry Angfer. And Randy Angfer. Jason Holt. If you need a chiropractor, that's the man. Lauren Cook. Eliana Cook. She doesn't have to come, she can stay. Steven Carlisle, who is not here. Heather Carlisle, who I think is with the, they're both downstairs. Stacy Wilkins, who is downstairs. Sadie Dicker, who is on vacation. Chris Lund is getting snacks. There he is. And Courtney Lund. These are the people that make this. Do you notice how there's more people up here than sitting now? That's why it's going to be awkward. We know who hasn't volunteered yet. No, you guys are good. Oh. Thanks. <laughs> But when you, when you think of Cross Creek and when you think of authentic excellence, this is what you need to think of. This group of people is what makes Cross Creek Cross Creek. This is, what, this is the group of people that, you know, goes behind the scenes. They don't get a lot of thanks, but we want to celebrate you guys because you have done amazing things and you are a part of changing the face of Salem and we really believe that. So after the service, come to the For Salem table and I will have a gift card for you. And you get to pick... There's a little plug. Hey, by the way, if you want to sign up for, to, uh, for a team, <laughs> there's a connect card in the seat in front of you. But you get to pick between a gift card to Venti's restaurant, B2 Tap House. Yeah, I got you covered. And then if you're like, well, those sound terrible. Well, they're not. They're local. Or uh, Starbucks. So you get your choice. You don't get all three. You get one. You, you, you do good work. But anyway, so... Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for being here this week. Thank you for watching online. That's, the, that's it for the service. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.